Welcome to He That Hath Ears, Listen Podcast. My name is Dave Krupa, a Christian and student of the Bible. Each episode, I will share lessons I learned from God's Word to help on the Christian journey in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time exploring the Bible with me today. Now, let's listen. Have you ever questioned God? How about when a young child dies? Do you ever ask why would God allow that? What about people outside the church having it better than the people inside the church? A father taken with small children and no financial preparedness. A few years ago when Dorian sat over the Bahamas for 20 plus hours. Why? What about today? COVID-19 in this pandemic. Why would God allow this to happen? Why did Jesus have to die? I mean, if God is omnipotent, all-powerful, why didn't he just do away with evil? Why is the country which was founded on God that we so love turned so far away from God? What's my purpose as a Christian? Why did I listen to the gospel, but many of my family members have not? Let's turn to Job chapter 3 verse 11. Job questioned God as well. He said, Why did I not die at birth, come forth from the womb and expire? And if you look at Job chapter 7 verse 19, He asked God another question. Will you never turn your gaze away from me, nor let me alone until I swallow my spittle? Obviously, those two questions are from somebody who is very desperate and suffering great. God doesn't mind questions. It's doubt in who he is that he hates. For many weary hours, the three friends of Job... Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar accused Job of all kinds of evil. They spoke the kind of foolish words that the healthy and ill-informed often speak to those in pain. They were trying to comfort their friend. But Job, he wanted to take his case to the Lord himself. And only at the end of the book does God at last break his silence. And although he doesn't answer one of Job's single questions, neither does he chastise Job for asking those questions. God does rebuke Job by way of asking a few questions of his own. He rebukes him for only one thing, doubting his righteous character. Consider some questioning characters in the Bible. Cain. God asked Cain, where's your brother? Cain asked God, am I my brother's keeper? Notice that God did not condemn the question. Now, for those of you that are parents, and you ask your child a question, and they came back with a question like that, I'm not sure that we wouldn't be reacting totally different than God did. What about Abraham? If 
you turn your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 20. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham replied, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the fifty righteous are lacking five. We destroy the whole city because of the five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. He spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose forty are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the forty. Then he said, O oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak. Suppose thirty are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the twenty. Then he said, O oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose ten are there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. As soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. I love this story of Abraham having this dialogue with God. Can you imagine you're standing before the creator of the universe and he says to you, I'm going to go down and visit these two cities because the outcry that I'm hearing is pretty bad. And if it is so, I'm going to wipe these people out. If it's not, then I'll know. And Abraham starts to question God. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Shall not the judge of all earth deal justly? Those are some pretty bold questions. And then he starts to negotiate with God. Yet God did not condemn Abraham for those questions. What about Moses? Moses is out tending his sheep, and he sees a bush catch on fire. Probably not a very peculiar event, except this bush doesn't consume of the fire. And he hears a voice from the bush telling him to take off his shoes because the ground that he is on is sacred. And God explains to Moses who he is from the bush and what he wants him to do. I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to let my people go. And Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh 
and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. Exodus chapter 3 verse 12 To question God is not in itself wrong. The prophet Habakkuk had questions for God concerning the timing and agency of the Lord's plan. Habakkuk, rather than being rebuked for his questions, is patiently answered by God, and the prophet ends his book with a song of praise to the Lord. Many questions are put to God in the Psalms. Look at Psalms 10, 44, Psalm 74, and 77. These are the cries of the persecuted who are desperate for God's intervention and salvation. Although God does not always answer our question in the way we want, we can conclude from these passages that a sincere question from an earnest heart is welcomed by God. Insincere questions, or questions from a hypocritical heart, well, those are a different matter. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. After King Saul had disobeyed God, his questions went unanswered. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. 1 Samuel 28 and 6 it is entirely different to wonder why God allowed a certain event than it is to directly question God's goodness and righteousness. Having doubts is different from questioning God's sovereignty and attacking His character. In short, an honest question is not a sin, but a bitter, untrusting, or rebellious heart is. Think about it. God is not intimidated by our questions. God invites us to enjoy close fellowship with Him. If you wanted to get to know me better, how would you do that without asking questions? When we question God, it should be from a humble spirit and an open mind. We can question God, but we should not expect an answer unless we are genuinely interested in His answer. God knows our hearts and knows whether we are genuinely seeking Him to enlighten us. Our heart attitude is what determines whether it is right or wrong to question God. Questioning oftentimes comes from doubt. And doubt is not necessarily a bad thing as well. We can look at the Bible and find examples where doubt did not result in condemnation. Our first example comes from Judges 6, starting at verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel through me, as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me, as you have spoken. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he drained the dew from the fleece, a bowl full of water. So Gideon is doubting whether God 
is actually going to do what he said he was going to do, deliver Israel through him. So he asked God for a test. And the test comes back positive. You would think Gideon would be, okay, you got it, I'm going to do what you told me to do. But not so. Let's continue with verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, Do not let your anger burn against me that I may speak once more. Please let me make a test once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, and let there be dew on all the ground. God did so that night, for it was dry only on the fleece, and the dew was on all the ground. One test wasn't enough. Gideon needed two tests to prove in his mind that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. Notice Gideon was not condemned for his doubt. What about Sarah and Abraham? We just looked at an example of Abraham having tremendous courage in questioning and negotiating with God. Abraham and his wife Sarah are two of the most important figures in the Old Testament. Both followed God faithfully through a lifetime of challenges and trials. But they couldn't quite bring themselves to believe one promise God made to them, that they would give birth to a son in their old age. In fact, they both laughed at the prospect. Once their son Isaac was born, however, Abraham's trust in God had grown so great that he was willing to even sacrifice that promised son if God asked. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, O that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation." But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And he left off talking with him, and God went up for Abraham. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife will have a son. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old shall I have pleasure, my lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a shorty bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed I will return unto thee, according to the time of life, 
and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. God makes Abraham and Sarah promise that they're going to have a son. And that son is going to carry the seed of God's kingdom with him. And they both laughed. They doubted God because they looked around and seen the world that they were living in. He was a hundred, she was ninety. Who would think that a ninety-year-old woman could have a child? God did not condemn them for this doubt. Now, of course, those are Old Testament examples, right? What about the New Testament? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, starting with verse 2. Now when John, and this is John the Baptist, while in prison heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. John the Baptist. John, the guy that was preparing the way for the Messiah out in the wilderness, wearing camel's hair and a leather belt, eating grasshoppers and honey, baptizing people, telling them to repent for the kingdom is at hand. John, the guy that sees Jesus coming and says, Behold the Lamb of God. John, the guy that said that Jesus was so holy that he wasn't worthy to tie his shoes. This same John, while he's in prison, asks a question. Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? What about Thomas? Thomas gets a bad rap, doubting Thomas and all that. But Thomas, one of Jesus' own disciples, someone who had perhaps spent years witnessing miracles, years traveling with Christ and learning at his feet, famously doubted that his master had been raised from the dead, even though Jesus told him that this would be so. As you look at this story, note that an entire week went by before he actually saw Jesus. Plenty of time for questions and doubt to gnaw at his mind. But when Thomas finally saw the risen Christ, his doubt fled. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Notice that Jesus did not condemn Thomas for doubting. And notice also that this doubt led to greater faith. Far from bringing about unbelief and despair, these experiences of doubt lead to a deeper faith, and in each case God's response was not wrath, but patience. Far from punishing his doubting followers, God honors those who seek after him with earnest questions and doubt. Let us proclaim along with Mark 9 and 15, I believe, help my unbelief. Christians must never be afraid to ask hard questions of God, but neither must we demand that He answer us. No matter how dark our circumstances may grow, we must resist the temptation to doubt God's holy nature and righteousness. When we, like Job, through trembling lips confess the awesome majesty of God, we may at last be ready for the awesome blessing of God. When my hope fades and my dreams die, and I find no answer by asking why, I just keep on trusting and hang on to my faith. Because God is just, He never makes mistakes. Should the storms come and trials I must face, when I find no solution, I rest in God's grace. When life seems unfair and more than I can take, I look up to the Father. He never makes mistakes. God sees our struggles and every bend in the road, but no mistake is ever made because He weighs every load. Lenora McWhorter W. Clement Stone wrote, That which you share multiplies, that which you withhold diminishes. If you found this podcast enjoyable, share the link with someone you care about.